So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. I worked in ILTC and had two experiences. We had a man who was actively dying. Staff made him as comfortable as they could. When he passed I was at the nursing station. There was a bright light that flashed in his room. Prior to that he told the CNA that was attending to him that his wife was coming to get him. His wife passed years before. The second PT screamed as he was dying all evening for hours that he was burning and in so much pain. He was administered enough morphine to kill a horse. Right before died he screamed get the F away from me. No. No. Nobody was in his room. I died twice myself once as a child and once as an adult. I had no experiences like that. Don't remember anything actually. My creepiest and scariest ghost story for me happened about a year ago. It really was more of a possession than a ghost story. I was helping another nurse with a patient that had lived a very hard life. It had numerous things going on with him from cardiac to renal failure. You name it, he had it going on. This man was very much afraid to die. Every time his heart monitor beeped, he would just go into a rage screaming, Don't let me die. Don't let me die. The other nurse and I found out why he didn't want to die. About 0200 his cardiac monitor starts alarming Vitak. We both rush into the room. I am pulling the crash cart behind me. When I get to the room, the other nurse is completely white. This man was sitting about two inches above the bed and was laughing. His whole look completely changed. His eyes just had a look of pure evil on them and he had this evil smile on his face. He laughed at us and said, you stupid BS aren't going to let me die will you? And he laughed again. We were kinda frozen. I did reach up and hit the code blue button and when I did the man went into V-fib. He crashed back onto the bed. We started coding him, but after 20 minutes it was called. 5 minutes after the code was called several of the code team is in the room cleaning up when this man sits straight up in the bed and says, you let him die. Too bad. And then begins laughing. The man collapsed back to the bed. We heard a horrible, agonizing scream, actually every patient in the unit that night commented on the scream, and then you could hear don't let me die being whispered throughout the unit. Every one of the nurses that night was pale and scared. Nobody went anywhere by themselves. By morning the whispers of don't let me die were gone. The night shift nurses had a prayer service in the break room before we left for home and then we all had nightmares for weeks. A PT told me she knew that her baby would not live even though she had an emergency CS for distress. I asked her how she knew. She had seen a family member in the hallway going to the OR that had recently died and they told her. They would take of the baby, not to worry. Not so much a ghost story, but a story about when my mom died a year ago. She was at my sister's house for two weeks and started going downhill. Hospice was called on a Saturday and she lapsed into a coma on Tuesday. Me and my other sister got to her house on Wednesday. On Thursday, my mom woke up for three hours and was talking to other people in the room. My dad died in 2000, and she kept saying Frank, would you leave me alone, I am not ready to go with you yet. Then she would get pissed and yell at him in German, she was from Germany. 
Then she saw her mother who passed away in 1964. The said mama and started to cry and then spoke German to her for about an hour. She was reliving her childhood with her and talking about things they did when she was small and she was laughing and having a good time with her. My mom lost twin boys in her fifth month in 1966 and she was talking with them and said I am so glad your Oma was there for you. I was so afraid you were alone. All of us in the room, and there was about 15 of us were in wonder the entire time. This went on for three hours. She would talk to them and then us. At one time she turned to me and said oh Susie, I didn't know you were here too, do you see all the people waiting for me? She was afraid to die because of the unkuan I guess. The next day, Thursday she didn't wake up at all and she woke up again on Friday morning for an hour while I was in the room with her. She said she wasn't afraid anymore and that she had seen heaven. She just wanted my dad to stop bugging her because she hadn't finished her job yet. She told me that my dog that had passed away six months before that was with my dad. She died the next day. Another story. My brother Mike was 16 and had an AVM, in the brain, and had had a blade. He had surgery and survived. Anyway, about three days after surgery, he woke up and said he had talked to Granny, who died three years earlier, and to Jeffrey, my other brother who had died 19 years earlier from a blown aneurysm from an AVM. Mike's first words were Granny said she was okay and she was sorry for being so mean at the end. She had dementia and was in a lot of pain before she died and was very verbally and physically abusive to all. He also said Jeffrey said to tell mom that he was okay and that he did not suffer and had no pain. Jeffrey also said that Curtis, my other brother, was okay and had nothing bad in his head like he did. Well, this really shook my mom up. About two or three months after that, Mike went to see his neurologist for a follow-up and stopped by ICU to see the nurses and ran into one of the surgical nurses who was in the OR during his operation. She was surprised to see him and said how he was very lucky. During surgery, his heart stopped beating twice and the surgeon said if it happened a third time, they would let him go. I was working ICU and caring for a patient with breast CA who was dying, minimally responsive for days, this was a long time ago when we actually kept dying patients in ICU. Anyway, she suddenly awoke and was very lucid, asking for some water, I was a little stunned but got her water for her. After she drank she said, do you know what Jesus just asked me? Of course I got a few chill bumps at this point, but answered, no, what? She said, he asked me if I had done everything with love. And what did you say, I replied. I told him that I had tried, she said. I told her that most likely that is all any of us are capable of doing. I turned her with some pillows and she fell asleep and died about 10 minutes later. Needless to say, this affected me greatly, I want to be able to give the right answer when Jesus asks. The second incident, we had an older man with a massive heart attack, lots of other problems and he ended up on the ventilator. He was the meanest old coot ever. His grandfather worked at the hospital and apologized for his behavior and told us he had always been quite a rounder. He would bite, kick, spit, and had to be restrained to keep him from pulling every line he had out. We coded him three times during his stay. After the third time, his demeanor changed and he became much more cooperative. We explained the change as a bit of ICU psychosis that had resolved. The gentleman became a frequent flyer in our ICU coming in multiple times with CHF and becoming a regular at our outpatient CHF clinic. He became a favorite, always smiling, joking, a dear man. One day he asked me, do you remember the first time I was here and how awful I was? I assured him that I did indeed remember. He said, do you know why I changed? I replied that I didn't but just thought that his meanness was related to his illness.
He said, no, it wasn't that, the last time you guys brought me back when my heart stopped, I woke up and remembered being in this very dark place, it was awful, it was totally black and there was this awful smell of sulfur and the heat was terrible. I called out and called out and no one answered. I remembered hearing that when people die and then come back a lot of them see a light and a lot of other good stuff. I was scared, I didn't see a light and I knew then I had to change. He lived a couple more years after telling me his story and when he finally died in our ICU, I have a feeling that he saw the light and the good things, at least I hope so. Working the 3 to 11 shift in a nursing home, I was doing my med pass when I was summoned by a CNA to a room. Upon entering, the CNA states, I think she just died, while I was changing her. I checked for breathing, circulation and the patient's orders. She was a DNR, do not resuscitate then attempted to get a BP. Nothing. So, I called to notify the PT's son, who requested for mom to be sent to the ER to be pronounced, and they would go straight to the hospital. I contacted 911, our protocol for transferring for pronounce L, and summoned the ambulance. Approximately 20 minutes passed before the ambulance arrived. The paramedic and EMT followed their protocol, and followed the same steps I had, breathing, circulation, and BP, and got nothing. By the time they loaded my patient, covered her, and set on the way to the hospital, 30 to 40 minutes had passed. In transport to our local hospital the ambulance had to cross a railroad track. When the ambulance crossed the tracks, the patient sat up, pulled the sheet from her head, and proceeded to point and shake her hand at the paramedic screaming, Take me back, take me back right now. I mean it, take me back right now. The EMT driving pulled over to check out the commotion. The paramedic exited the ambulance and proceeded to vomit. The paramedic then continued to the hospital, and phoned the nursing home to tell me what had happened. Approximately an hour later, the son phoned stating I was surprised to arrive at the ER and my mom greet me. Did you perform CPR after talking to me, you know she was a DNR, right? When the family was told of this incident, they simply said. It just wasn't her time. The only thing that I can come up with, even to this day, is. The bumps caused by the railroad crossing, jolted her heart to start beating again. Any other thoughts or ideas about this? BTW, the paramedic resigned when his shift was over the next morning. Help me. I need some help. 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 Help me. My mom worked at a nursing home for a few years back in the day. There was this old man that took a liking to her, she was his favorite Pna. Every time she would walk past his room. He would hit his need assistance button, which would cause a red light to light up outside of his room. That's how they let the nurses know they needed help but of course he just wanted my mom to come in and talk to him. After he died, for a few weeks, every time she walked past his room his need assistance light would come on. His room was empty, and it only happened when she walked past. She also said that sometimes the old people would see stuff shortly before they died. Look at all these dancing kids, oh her dress is so pretty and die the next day. Another said look at all these people that came to visit me, it's made me so happy also died the next day. She said them seeing stuff before they died was pretty common, but it was usually happy things. This one old man was yelling in terror oh my god, they've come for me. No make them leave. Oh god, look at their faces, ah. Help. Make them go and died the next day. That one freaked everyone out for a few days. I have the rare and distinct honor of working in the ICU of one of Chicago's most prestigious and longest standing hospitals. Don't get me wrong, I busted my backside getting here, with a large helping of luck along the way. 
When I started this past February, I noticed a nice change of pace in the orientation process. There was a clever mixture of history and with the standard rules and regulations type stuff, just enough to keep my interest. One bit of information I found particularly interesting was that our hospital had undergone many changes in the unit structures before reaching its current layout. As a matter of fact, before we built a dedicated children's hospital next door, our current med-slash-surge floor fulfilled the PED's role. On our last day of orientation, right before our short Friday came to an end, our education liaison came in to deliver one additional little nugget of lore to our information-beaten brains. Maybe she was trying to see who was paying attention, or maybe it was a reward for those who possessed the cognitive fortitude to make it through those last five minutes, I'll never know. She came in to tell us a story, one that had been developing over the last forty-some years. It was the story of a little girl, her name since forgotten, who once called that eighth-floor pediatric swing home, room 827 to be exact. She was in for something common at the time, although the storyteller didn't know exactly what. This little girl was loved by the whole unit because no matter how sick she got, she always just wanted to play. The doctors would tell her, now you need to stay in bed, that's the only way you will get better and the nurses would always find her by the window, sitting on the ledge, begging for them to come play with her. One cold November night, an extra chill blew through the dusty unit as the cries of a young mother rang throughout the halls. It was the girl, she had succumbed to her illness. The nurses, orderlies and physicians all knew it was coming, but they never expected tonight would be the night and it broke their hearts. Shortly thereafter the unit was shut down for remodeling. The PEDS unit was then moved to the other side of the hospital for its eventual transition to the new children's building. In the old unit's place was a brand new, state-of-the-art medical surgical unit. Although the structure was still the same, the walls had been painted, and the amenities all updated. Shortly after the new unit opened, something very interesting started to happen. Stories started to spread of patients telling nurses of seeing a little girl near the window in their room, always followed by a sudden turn for the worst, ending in a code blue and ultimately their death. The stories were so regular, in fact, that the manager on that floor began keeping records of when the stories occurred. Now, as an ICU nurse, I have a decent amount of brains in my head, even if I am relatively new. So, I took this story with a grain of salt. I knew it was just a neat old story, no matter how intriguing it seemed. Then it came, my first day off orientation. A code blue was called through the overhead speaker during our pre-shift conference. Being the aggressive young, male, nurse that I am, I run to just about every code there is, and this was no exception. When I arrived at this one, it was pretty standard with nothing out of the ordinary. It was an 84-year-old male with a surprisingly small health history, his heart had just seemed to give out on him. So, like most codes, we began compressions and started our ACLS protocol. I have always been a compressions guy, never really getting into the charting of pushing meds during the code. At this particular time, we had just reached about 13 minutes of CPR when we regained a pulse, with me currently kneeling on the bed next to the patient for leverage. I knew better than to get down off the bed, since I already had established my positioning, so I sat and waited while the patient was assessed. Just then, as if someone flicked on the lights inside this old man's head, his eyes opened. Bright. Wide. He looked directly at me, perched over him like an ancient gargoyle. Then, defying medical possibility, he opened his mouth and said to me with a smile, I'll come and play with you, then he turned his head, looked at the window, and his heart stopped. We tried for at least 30 more minutes, the entire time with a my stomach in complete knots, but there was nothing we could do, he never regained a pulse. As part of the code paperwork, I was required to sign my name on the record sheet. 
I had noticed that someone left the room number off, so I called out, Hey, what room is this anyway? And at that moment everyone looked at me as if I should have already known, and at that moment I did, it was 827. I work in an outpatient clinic that has established an office in an old cancer building. Evidently, this building was used for radiation oncology and cancer treatment for outpatients. So now, it is an office used for just physician office visits. When we first moved to this building in 2007, we had a new physician that also established a private practice in the back of the building. Since she initially had no staff assigned to her, I helped her set up her office. She was the best in her field and had loads of certificates and awards to hang on the wall. We decorated and hung the documents on the wall and everything looked quite nice for her to start her practice. We then established the hospital portion of the office on the front side of the building and had everything in place for both practices. I frequently helped her out in her office until she could get her own staff. One day she asked me if I had moved any of the things on the wall. I told her I hadn't and saw that all the documents were moved to different places and her decorations were reversed. I thought that maybe the housekeeper had moved things while dusting and forgot about it. Over the next few months, this happened more often. Additionally, things were rearranged on her desk. I finally talked to the housekeeper and asked about it. The housekeeper was horrified and said that she didn't touch anything. She had been informed from her boss that she should only vacuum and clean the exam rooms. I explained this to the physician and she laughingly replied maybe we have a ghost. Over the next few months, I really didn't think much more about it. I didn't need to help the physician out as much because she had hired an assistant. The physician went on an extended vacation and her private practice was locked up for a few weeks. The other part of the building, where I worked the most, was busy with other physicians. My days were hectic and many times I worked straight through the day without lunch or any break, but I always had my coffee cup full. And many days I left it half full, locked my office door and left in a hurry to finally get home. One morning, I came in and my coffee cup was scrubbed clean and sitting on a paper towel. When I went to my desk, all my pens were removed from my pen holder and the pens were scattered on the desk and there were pencils in the holder. When the housekeeper came to the office to clean, I asked her if she had been in my office and she said that she couldn't get into because it was locked. I became very curious about all this activity and other things that occurred throughout the building, like magazines moved and chairs rearranged. I decided to try to find the nursing staff that had worked in this building prior to us and ask them a few questions. I was able to locate one nurse that had worked in the cancer center and asked her if anyone had ever died in the center. Being that it was an outpatient center, I didn't think so, but thought I'd ask. Sure enough, there was a poor dear lady named Mary, that passed away in that building while getting her cancer treatment. I inquired about that patient and was informed that she had been a cleaning lady for physician practices. Really. Now things were starting to come together. Two years went by, with an occasional visit from our friendly cleaning ghost. We got used to it and would fake like we were talking to her. The physician placed a sign on her desk that said something to the effect that friendly ghosts are welcome. One day the physician and I had a chance to have some small talk and I told her about what I found out about the ghost. She told me that she welcomes ghosts when they are good ghosts. Imagine that. I jokingly told her that if she ever leaves our hospital, that she should take the ghost with her. She did, I haven't had my coffee cup cleaned that well since last year when that physician left. The pictures, magazines, chairs and decorations never change. I miss the physician and Mary. We have a rather newer building, only a couple of years old, but it still has strange things happening. We share our unit with ICU and probably patients have passed away in all the rooms at one time or another. 
One night all the nurses kept asking if other nurses had adjusted the oxygen flows on their patients because they kept changing from what they had been set at. We all had it happen to at least a couple of our patients, all through the unit, all night long. It was so very strange. Another time me and another nurse observed the TV turning off and on, off and on over and over again in an empty room. I went in and physically turned it off, only to have it turn off and on again as soon as I sat back down at the station. We thought maybe it was the remote that plugs into the wall, controls TV, call light, etc. We unplugged and plugged it back in, tested it out and it worked fine. Sat back down and the TV started doing its thing again. I called some other nurses over to witness and we were all creeped out. Finally one nurse went and unplugged the TV from the wall and that fixed the problem. There is a very long corridor between two buildings that gets creepy at night. It is close to one quarter mile long. Twice I have had the doors open for me at the end of the corridor before I had a chance to get close enough to swipe my badge to open the doors. No one in sight on either side of the doors. The best I have heard is from a nurse who said that one night she was floated to oncology at the hospital she used to work at. She was given a patient who was passing away and had been unconscious for several days. At one point during the night the nurse went into the room and the patient was at the top of the bed and looked at her and said, don't let them take me. The nurse was freaked out and asked her who was going to take her and she said that black thing up there and pointed up in the air. This patient died within minutes. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7.